Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Alyssa Gray, and today we'll be learning Yoma Daf Mem Hey, Yoma 45. The subject matter of our Daf begins toward the bottom of 44b. There, commenting on the Mishnah's statement that on days other than Yom Kippur, the handle of one of the pans used in the sacrificial service was of yellowish gold, but on Yom Kippur it was of reddish gold, Rav Chista observes that there are seven types of gold. All seven types of gold are mentioned in some way in the Tanakh. The first is ordinary gold. The second is good gold, Zahav Tov, a phrase mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, verse 12, where the Torah says, quote, The gold of that land, meaning Chavilah, is good. The third type of gold is Ophir gold, mentioned in 1 Kings 9.28, where mariners sailing on ships built by King Solomon obtained 420 talents of this gold, which they brought to Solomon. The fourth type is Mufaz gold, which according to 1 Kings 10.18, Solomon used to cover his ivory throne. The fifth type is Shachut gold, which Solomon used to make shields according to 1 Kings 10.16. The sixth is Sagor gold, which Solomon used in the mysterious Lebanon forest house as per 1 Kings 10.21. Finally, the seventh type of gold is Parvayim gold, which Solomon used in the temple according to Second Chronicles 3.6. At the top of 45a, Ravashi states that there were five types of gold. He counts ordinary gold and good gold as being included within the other five types set out by Rav Chista. What is the significance of this? If we examine the biblical verses alluded to in Rav Chista's list, we see references to Genesis 2.12, which comes close to God's completion of the Garden of Eden, verses from 1 Kings 10, which set out King Solomon's fantastic wealth and royal glory, and 2 Chronicles 3, which discusses Solomon's building of the first temple. And notice that the verse allusions follow this biblical order of books and events, completion of Eden, Solomon's royal glory, and Solomon's building of the first temple. In a certain way, then, these verse allusions are recapitulating part of sacred history and making an analogy. The analogy is between God's completion of Eden, the perfect place, and Solomon's completion of the first temple, the perfect place for the meeting of God and human beings. The sacred history being recounted through allusion is Solomon's magnificent royal glory and how he manifested that in his loving and lavish construction of the first temple. The first temple was a show place for the earthly interactions between God and Israel, a place where the overwhelming luxury and glory of the divine service would be on full display. This understood, we can move on to make sense of two brief observations in our Gemara and 45a. 
The Mishnah states that on days other than Yom Kippur, the priests would ascend the ramp to the altar on the east side and come back down on the west side. But on Yom Kippur, the high priest would ascend the ramp right in the middle and come down again right in the middle. The Gemara asks the reason for this change and answers that it is on account of the high priest's honor. As Rashi explains, this shows the importance of the high priest. He is like a ben bayit, a familiar member of the household, one who can move without restriction as he wishes. The Mishnah also states that on Yom Kippur, as opposed to all other days, the high priest would wash his hands and feet with a golden ladle. Again, the Gemara on 45a explains that this is due to the honor of the high priest. In these two brief explanations for the Mishnah's statement of differences in the high priest's behavior on Yom Kippur, we see the common thread that the Yom Kippur ritual is to highlight the high priest's glory and honor. His glory is to be a spectacle on full display for the people. Moreover, he is to appear as a ben bayit, someone fully comfortable in the temple, and therefore ideally suited to bring heaven and earth together on Yom Kippur. The importance of making a glorious spectacle of Yom Kippur is indicated as well in the Gemara's discussion of the number of wood piles there should be in the temple on Yom Kippur. In the Mishnah, Rabbi Meir said that there should be five on Yom Kippur as opposed to four on all other days. Rabbi Yossi said four on Yom Kippur as opposed to three, and Rabbi Yehuda said three on Yom Kippur as opposed to two. In his Perusha Mishnayot, his commentary on the Mishnah, the Rambam, Maimonides, says that the Halakha is according to Rabbi Yossi, so we will focus on Rabbi Yossi's view. The Gemara defines Rabbi Yossi's four woodpiles as follows. First, the great woodpile for use in burning the daily sacrifices. Second, the woodpile for use in burning the incense. Third, a woodpile for use in making sure that the great first woodpile can be kept burning, and last, a woodpile that they add for that day, in case more fire is needed to burn incense in the Holy of Holies. In his comment on the Mishnah, the Rambam points out that all these sages agree that there has to be an addition of another woodpile on Yom Kippur, for the reason, as he puts it, lechavod ulehidor bi'enei ha'am for glory and adorning in the eyes of the people. That is, once again, the added fire will be awe-inspiring and eye-catching, making the Yom Kippur service, the priesthood, and the temple look awesome in the people's eyes. We have examined three ways the Gemara wishes to emphasize the glorious spectacle of the Yom Kippur temple service. The discussion of types of gold, two distinctive aspects of the high priest's Yom Kippur behavior, and the added Yom Kippur woodpile. But why? While the actual historical temple service may well have been an amazing spectacle in a world in which most people lived without much in the way of what we would call excitement, we must bear in mind that Masechet Yoma is the rabbi's own working out and discursive construction of an imagined memory of the past, a very idealized past. Why do the rabbis construct an imagined memory of the temple in such a way as to highlight the magnificence and glory of this service? A full answer would require a more complete study of how the rabbis construct the memory of the temple throughout the Bavli. 
But for now, we may return to the biblical verses Rav Chista alluded to in his list of seven types of gold. Those verses have Eden and Solomon's building of the first temple as bookends, and the Tanakh's account of Solomon's own royal glory in the middle. The rabbis are giving expression here to a profound spiritual nostalgia. Using their finely honed interpretative tools, they reach back beyond the trauma of the Second Temple's destruction to reconstruct an idealized image of a perfect temple in which the people of Israel could obtain atonement through the services of a holy and properly motivated priesthood. This idealized past is a poignant inversion of their present in which this kind of relationship with God is impossible. Using text, the rabbis discursively reimagine the glorious spiritual world they fully hope and expect one day to inhabit. Let's study again together tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.